0: Hey there, and thank you so much for listening to the Big Time Talker Podcast. I'm Burke Allen, live in Washington, D.C., and the program is a service of our friends at SpeakerMatch.com, the world's largest online virtual speakers bureau. October 1st is the third anniversary of the worst mass shooting in United States history. It happened in Las Vegas, Nevada, and a new documentary called Money Machine brings you information you've never heard before, about this tragic event. The documentary filmmaker Ramsey Denison is an award winner. He joins us on the podcast today to mark this this tragic anniversary. Ramsey, what got you interested in this story to begin with?
1: Well, you know, I made a previous film about the Las Vegas Metropolitan Police Department, and that movie made a lot of noise in Vegas. Um, You know, it it was fortunate enough to get the top awards um, in that town in like 2017 at the film festivals and um, because of that film, you know, it, it had an odd effect. I originally thought, because, you know, the movie exposed a lot of corruption in the Las Vegas Metropolitan Police Department, so I originally thought that, um, you know, it would have the effect of, like, everyone connecting with, connected with the LVMPD would kind of, like, um, be angry with me. And, and, and certainly that happened to an extent, but what, what I didn't expect was how many retired LVMPD cops Um, reached out to me because they liked what I was doing. They felt that what I was saying was the truth and they used to say to me the enemy of my enemy is my ally. Okay so even though they probably didn't like that I was talking about how corrupt their once proud police department was um, they did like the fact that I was saying that the source of this corruption was the administration and chair Joe Lombardo and so and they felt that you know the fish rots from the head and that I was trying to do something about that rotten fish head that is Sheriff Joe Lombardo. So, um, they, so because of that, those guys, you know, there's about four or five retired cops who started reaching out to me when October one happened, almost immediately telling me, Hey, listen, what you're seeing on the television isn't the whole story. Um, Sheriff Lombardo is suppressing information. Um, like, for example, there was an accidental discharge in Steven Paddock's room, meaning a gunshot went off in Paddock's room. Um, and there's also there was an officer who was in position, to stop the shooting, who did um, who basically chickened out and cowered. So this was pretty explosive and interesting information. And because of my experience with the LVMPD, um, I can't say it was particularly surprising, but it was definitely worth going back there and checking it out, even though I had to bring some disguises with me this time, (laughs) meaning uh, because of all the noise my previous film had made, I really had to try and lay low. And so, you know, I, I wore sunglasses, hats, and I, you know, I had this character who was kind of a Montana cattle rancher. You know, I assumed the persona dressed like a cattle rancher and tried to talk like one and, and that was kind of my one of my disguises as I was filming money machines so I could, you know, get there, stay there, un, you know, undetected. And then I also had, um, you know, I'd bring friends with me. I'd have them check under the hotels under their name, not mine. I would take rental cars, uh, just try to do everything I could to stay off the OVMPD's radar.
0: Wow. Ramsey Dennison is our guest on the Big Time Talker podcast. This is a sad anniversary. It's the anniversary week of the biggest mass shooting in American history uh, at that uh, Route 91 Harvest Music Festival in Las Vegas on 1 October. And do you remember where you were when that happened?
1: Yes. Actually, I was in Vegas on October 1st. Um, and oddly enough, I was, I was with a friend and we were, um, to be honest with you, we, were, we were in a sports book and we'd spent the day betting on football. And um, so we were driving home and, and, um, you know, it was basically just another Sunday, um, you know, driving back to California. And then, you know, at about, gosh, I don't know, maybe 10.30 that night, my phone just started blowing up, you know, like, oh my God, there's, you know, there was a shooting at the the festival and there's multiple people dead. And I was like, whoa, what's this? You know, And, and, and those initial reports that I was being told, I had thought there was maybe like six or seven people dead because of what I was being texted, and it wasn't until I woke up the next morning and saw it was just all over the place, 58 people dead in the largest mass shooting in U.S. history. Um, that's when I really understood the gravity of the situation.
0: Ramsey Dennison is the documentary filmmaker behind Money Machine, which uh uh, first of all, before we get too far into the story itself, how can folks find that, that movie? I know that it's being released internationally on 1 October and available, I guess, in, in pay-per-view outlets. But tell people how they can actually view Money Machine. Yeah,
1: they can, um, on, if you go on iTunes and just find Money Machine, um, that's where you know, the movie can be found. It's just straight up on iTunes. Um, and then it's also going to be coming to other platforms, too, in the
0: coming weeks. Okay, so iTunes to see Money Machine, uh, Ramsey is a, an award winning documentary filmmaker. As he said, it's his second movie about Las Vegas, um, and and I mentioned at the top of the the program that there's some some new controversial information. I don't want to set this up in in some way that there's this huge uh, you know conspiracy theory that there were multiple shooters and and that sort of thing. You know, there's none of that tinfoil hat stuff. Um, but there are some pretty interesting things that you found out. What is the most surprising thing that you uncovered when you're doing your undercover filming there in Las Vegas, dressed up as that uh, Montana cattle rancher? What surprised you the most that you learned?
1: Uh, well, as I was walking around as Trent Spoonbauer, that was my <laughs> Montana cattle rancher's name, and um, you know I, I I tried to be a very cocky. I would brag about like um, the cattle I'd bought at discount prices and things of that nature. <laughs> but well well, I was kind of like in my undercover role, I would say that um I think the most single most surprising thing I learned was that there was a cover up. It just wasn't the one that everyone thought it was, meaning that you know a lot of people thought there were multiple shooters and that it was like crisis actors and that the whole thing didn't take place, and I found that to be utter nonsense, and when we started looking at the facts and getting you know um, Dr. Rob Maher, who's a forensic audio analysis when he, you know, this is one of the foremost audio experts in the country who's written books on it. When he sits there and analyzes the audio waveforms and says, listen, this is all coming from a single, um, this is a single shooter. Then that's, you know, and that combined with the other research we did, um, you know, we, we, we learned that that's just not the case. There was not multiple shooters and there's really not a shred of hard evidence that there was. So, but, but one thing we did learn um, that was very interesting was the suppression of information, um, meaning that um, people didn't realize that Sheriff Joe Lombardo was in an election year. So he had, um, you know, here he was on a national stage um, and the reality of the situation is that his officers took 70 minutes to get into Paddock's room. Seventy minutes—that's a long time. Um, and when they did go into his room, they couldn't even enter without a gunshot going, accidentally going off. There was an accidental discharge in Stephen Paddock's room, and Sheriff Joe Lombardo said nothing about that. I mean, geez, it seems like a pretty big news event, doesn't it? Seems like something you might want to um, mention in the press conferences, um, but he didn't. And uh, you know, as I as I delved further into things, I started to realize. That the the real reason behind a lot of this cover up, you know, behind them not wanting to release body cam footage and actually hiring, um, you know, one of the interesting things that Sheriff Lombardo did is they even used public funds, okay, because the police department's funded by the public. They used public money to hire a lawyer to prevent the release of the one October documents and footage. Um, which to me is just unacceptable and unbelievable that you would do that. I mean, that's public information; those 911 calls, those documents, um, and for Sheriff Joe Lombardo to kind of stall the release of that just so that he could, you know, hide the incompetence and 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 win his election is, I think, reprehensible, and um, that the public shouldn't stand for that kind of behavior from their elected official that they pay, whose salary they pay, and who technically works for them. Um, so, and then, and then as you probably know, it was actually a lawsuit by several large media companies, you know, Associated Press, um, LA times and and several others that actually forced the release of that body cam footage. And when that was released, it was revealed that officer Cordell Hendricks was shaking in the hallway, like a little baby, even though he was in position to stop the shooting. Um, and so, and it's not an accident that footage didn't come out until after Lombardo was elected. So by, by hiring lawyers and like trying to battle the release of that footage in court, what he was able to do was, you know, with all this m- legal maneuvering was actually delay um, the release of the footage. And so that it, so they, the election was already in the bag by the time that damning footage came out, um, which is really sneaky and deceptive. And it's just kind of, in my opinion, unacceptable that this guy um, behave so selfishly.
0: Ramsey Dennison is our guest on the big time talker podcast. The movie is money machine. It's a documentary about the one October mass shooting in Las Vegas. Hard to believe this is the third anniversary of that event at the, uh, harvest music festival, the country music festival there. As you began to peel back the layers of the onion, you, um, you talked to many of the people that were on site um, at that music festival that evening, it must have just been gut wrenching to hear their stories. And and when you shot this this documentary, it was still reasonably fresh in their minds. Do you do you have one uh, person in particular that you can think of that you spoke with and that Ramsey, their story really touched you on a human level?
1: Yeah, I would say um, Catherine Catherine's story. Catherine's the blonde attorney from San Diego in the movie. And I mean, she's very reasonable, pragmatic person. And I just remember when she just, you know, sitting with her for the first time and she just matter of factly laid out the things that happened, you know, like a man dying right in front of her, like a guy, there was a guy who told her to get down and then he got shot and had, you know, a bullet hole through, through his head and stuff. And then, and, um, but then she told this story of, you know, like, like afterwards going to get a cab and, um, and and she was just, like, covered in blood. You know, we tell the story in Money Machine. She's just, like, covered in blood, and nobody seemed to notice or care. Like, the cab driver, you know, the ballet was just like, oh, she needs a cab, let's get her into one, even though she's, like, covered from head to tail in blood. And then she gets to her hotel room, and, and um, you know, and, and again, it's just like nobody – it was just like the Money Machine was almost already moving on. She, like, she tells her story of just being in the hotel and – nobody seemed to notice that she was just like covered in blood. And then she started crying hysterically. And they, they told her that, you know, she, it looks like she spilled spaghetti on herself and she needed to go up. Everything was going to be fine. And she needed to go up into her room to change. So it was, it was just, I, I never forgot that. And that kind of became the spine of the film. I think about how almost instantly the Vegas money machine had to just move on. And sadly, I think what was forgotten in all that is the victim's. You know, and their stories and what they went through, and they were kind of shoved aside, so that Vegas could get the registers ringing again.
0: I remember her specifically in watching uh, Money Machine, and by the way, Money Machine available on iTunes everywhere to commemorate the third anniversary of the uh, mass shooting in Las Vegas, and and uh, you know the way she described it and the way you uh, demonstrated it visually of of her walking through that crowded casino, uh, you know, floor. And thousands of people around, and they just sort of you know looked at her and then went a- about their day and her getting on the elevator and taking it up to her room yeah. and no yeah. one offering any help. One of the other things that that just amazed me about this documentary <laughs> is that you actually tracked down uh, stephen paddock the shooter 's brother, who yeah. gave some some pretty interesting information about his theory as to what happened and why. Stephen Paddock uh, went on this this rampage. Um, talk to us a little bit about that, about what his brother, I think his brother's name was Eric, is that right?
1: Yeah, Eric Paddock. And so very early on when we started making the, the movie, um, you know, I was just kind of following things where they led. And, and I, what I kept hearing from people who were actually there that night, the victims who were at Route 91, was that they thought that there was multiple shooters. And, you know, when you start hearing that one after the other, after the other, you start to believe it. And so originally I thought that was true. And then it it took a while to kind of figure out why so many people thought that, Um, which is there's it's complicated. But basically, there's a lot of acoustical reflections in Vegas with all that glass and all that um, space. And, And so the gunshots were kind of reverberating off of you know, buildings and then, and, and like echo. And so that sounded a lot like multiple shooters. And the other thing was, no matter where they ran, they felt like they didn't get away from the gunfire. So they thought they're multiple shooters. So, you know, over time we're able to debunk that, but it was really when the, when the movie shifted focus was when we got a hold of Steven Paddock's brother, Eric, and talked to him. He's the one who really changed the course of the movie because that's when we started to learn what really, why this really happened. And um, and that MGM appeared to be kind of suppressing the real story there. And what Eric, who knows his brother better than anybody in the world, um, they were pretty tight, um, explained to me, was that you know before he did this, his brother was often, you know, Stephen was often talking about you know just kind of complaining about how you know it wasn't really a square deal with the casino. It's like they lured him in with all these comps and, you know, we're going to give you this and that and that. And then they slowly, they started taking things away slowly. Slowly they started kind of changing the deal. And, um, and Steven resented that because he, you know, and, and listen, I mean, there's nothing at all acceptable or justifiable about what he did. It's horrible. And and, and it's, you know, it's monstrous. And yes, Steven Paddock's a monster, but even monsters have motives. And, um, you know this—the idea that he just did this for the heck of it—is um, is utterly absurd. Um, and there's a reason why he—you know—monsters have motives, and there's a reason why Stephen Paddock did it, and there's a reason why he did it where he did it. You know, from MGM Resorts property um, to leave them liable for the deadliest—you know—legally liable. So they really did a good job of attempting to obscure that element. Um, and sadly, the LVMPD and Sheriff Joe Lombardo helped aid them in that. Um, you know, he's very tight with MGM. Um, they they even uh, funded part of his campaign, given campaign contributions. So that's really one of the – that was an explosive revelation to all of us. And that's when we realized, you know, that there, there was a different cover-up here. You know, it wasn't they're – the, they're right that there was a cover-up, but it wasn't the one that they thought it was.
0: And you not know. the one that you thought you were going to film when you no. started Money Machine. the The film takes on this this whole different direction. So, so what Eric Paddock, Stephen Paddock's brother, told you, and and what you've come to believe then is that uh, Paddock was uh, was well known to be a high roller there in Las Vegas, and high rollers received lots of comps and lots of special attention. And gradually, uh, the MGM, which which owned Mandalay Bay, began to sort of take those away from him. Repeatedly, and something snapped inside him, and and Stephen Paddock decided, you know what? I'm going to get back at these guys, and I'm going to I'm going to destroy their business because they did this to me. It's twisted logic, but that's the logic that that seems to be put forward in that movie. Did I summarize that pretty well?
1: Yeah, no, he summarized it perfectly. And 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 I mean, I think some people hear that and go, "Wait a minute, he did this because he got ripped off on comps." That's ridiculous. Well, yes, it is ridiculous. And so is murdering people because – about something like this. But again, we're talking about somebody who's clearly a monster. Sure. So so it's like people want to apply logic to somebody who's – I mean there's nothing logical about anything about what this guy did. So um, – but, you know, and, and if you look at, you know, mass – you know, people who kill others, it's often like the, the logic – it is ridiculous and you he know, had I'm a, a
0: like, bad yeah. family history of there were there was abuse there and mental health issues and wasn't his father uh, a lifelong criminal as well i don't remember all the details oh, i'm sure you do.
1: was in the in the top 10 on the fbi's top 10 wanted list at one point
0: yeah, yeah. Stephen
1: paddock's father and so you know i mean i think it's you know there's a certain madness just kind of flowing through his veins and, and um i mean i you know it's my belief that he was kind of born with some of this that said, I mean Stephen Paddock held it together pretty well, you know. I mean he's a guy who had he made a lot of money, um, he was pretty successful in his business ventures. And the truth, and you won't hear a lot of MGM employees say this um, because they're told they're specifically told not to. The truth is that there was people who liked Stephen Paddock at MGM. I've talked to these people, you know. Uh, there was a guy who hit me up on Facebook the other day was a bartender. He said he spent like seven hours, you know. Um, like talking the Paddock, um, you know, a couple of days before this happened. And, and, um, so the story is more complicated than it's presented as, you know,
0: the movie money machine, uh, comes out October 1st and will be available on iTunes and other platforms moving forward. But it's an uh, it's an opening piece of filmmaking and Ramsey Dennison is the award winning documentarian behind it. He's our guest on the big time talker podcast. As you went through filming uh, Money Machine, one of the things that that I took away from it, perhaps because, as you know, we've talked about off air, I lived and worked in Las Vegas for a couple of years, is that uh, despite the fact, Ramsey, that this was the biggest mass shooting in the United States history, and it happened at this big entertainment event, you know what could be more benign than a big country music festival where people gather together to have a good time, is that the thing got almost immediately... Swept under the rug uh, from a national standpoint. Certainly, it was a big, you know, news story there for a couple of days, and then, amazingly, for something this horrible and this tragic, it just went away nationally. And, and it
1: did. It just disappeared off the face of the earth. And that's the other thing we we show in the movie is why that happened. Um, and you know, part of that is that I mean, as you know, Burke having worked there, the amount of money. In Vegas, it's just unbelievable, and a lot of that's funded by an entity that not a lot of people know about, called the Las Vegas Convention and Visitors Authority. And those are the people who take, um, you know, when you when you check in a, into a room in Vegas and you get that annoying thirty five dollars resort fee, a daily resort fee charge, right. that goes to the LVCVA, and they spend over a hundred million a year, you know, and, and again, this is all done on the backs of the people visiting that town you spend over a hundred million a year advertising Vegas, so think of that. if you're going to the same media companies year after year with millions of dollars in advertising and then you kind of like request that maybe they lay off the Vegas mass shooting for a bit, um, do you think they're gonna do that? Probably um was that a factor? Probably you know um, because it did just disappear you know and 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 I think. I was in most things in Vegas it comes down to money.
0: Money Machine is the movie. It's an amazing eye-opening piece of filmmaking and it's also uh, incredibly um gosh, I don't know what the word is, uh tragic, moving, heart-wrenching. The that first, I don't know, 10-15 minutes of the movie, you you have found amazing footage of exactly what happened. Inside that shooting, I guess it was there were many many you know thousands of people there and and somehow you cobbled together this cell phone footage uh, of of what was happening from many, many different people. I would imagine that there were some pretty awful gruesome things that that you cut out of that film that there must have been a tough editing job to to present it even as it is now
1: well you know one of the reasons i I made the film so graphic in the opening was there was a lot of people out there and I hear from these people far more than I'd like to, who think that this was a staged government event. And they said that, um, Oh, you know, those people were crisis actors and this didn't really happen and it was all fake and put on by the government. And so my task right out of the gate was to be like, Hey, this did happen. See this footage. Um, you know, I, so I, so I really wanted to kind of put it out there, um, that, that this did happen. And, and, and I say that as somebody who's talked to people who were there that night, who just, who, you know, are clearly wounded for the rest of their life, who will break into tears and, 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 you know, there's nothing fake about that. I mean, and so, you know, that's why we kind of made the decision to have that opening be as, as realistic and, and kind of violent as it was, was, um, you know, it's probably too much for some people, but, um, what it would, I think, I mean, it's probably the, the aspect that people talk about the movie the most. I mean, I, I constantly hear that, that they that opening ten minutes is just that people have never seen anything like it. You know,
0: there's a uh, an interesting interview that you do with a cab driver in the movie. Um, in the documentary film, and by the way, the documentary Money Machine, available on iTunes to commemorate the third anniversary of the Las Vegas mass shooting at the Harvest Music Festival. So you talked to this cab driver. You talked to several people who were at the Mandalay Bay that evening at the, the music festival. I wonder how difficult it was for you to find people who would talk to you because clearly part of the premise of the movie, Ramsey, is that uh, the Las Vegas Metropolitan Police Department is very much in bed with with MGM Resorts to try to suppress people from talking about this and to try their very best to sweep it under the rug and make it go away so that people will feel safe coming back to Las Vegas. So was it hard for you to find people willing to talk to you on camera and on the record, and, and how did well, you find them?
1: Well, yeah, I'll tell you, it was especially hard at first because – um. Right after this happened, there was a lot of noise being made about how, you know, it it just so happened that some of the people who survived the shooting had actually died shortly after it. And so because of that, there was a lot of um, noise about like, oh, you know, the government is like killing people who, who go against the narrative. And so there was a lot of that kind of stuff going around at first that this was, you know, the government was like killing people who tried to expose that the, the, this whole thing was fake. Really? And so, and it, it, yeah. And so, I mean, that was kind of going, and I know it sounds ridiculous now, but that was, I mean, there was a lot of people believe that. And so people would contact me and they would say, Oh, you know, this whole event was fake and all, you know, all this, or, or they just say, they'd say all this stuff. They'd say they wanted to talk to me and all this stuff. And then, like, you know, you you start pinning down the details of the interview and stuff and all of a sudden it's just silence and then you check in with them again and then they they confess like, oh, listen, I'm sorry, I changed my mind. I'm, you know... And, and and so basically, what was happening is they would get excited and want to do an interview, and then somebody would get in their ear and be like, "Hey, no, you'll end up dead, man. You don't want to mess with the LVMPD and stuff." So I know this all sounds kind of absurd, but that I was getting a lot of that at 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 first. You know, I mean, that happened. I had several people who you know I just lined up to interview, and then all and and I, I gotta believe it's that you know someone gets in their ear and tells them that um, you know. So there was a lot of that. But then, of course, as time went on, that that kind of uh, – some of the gas went out of that t- balloon, you know, of of the government putting this on and all this stuff. And then it became kind of easier. Um, and, you know, and also some of the survivors who were there that night had actually settled down enough where they were actually able to talk about it.
0: And there's an interesting new wrinkle to this story. And, and Ramsey Dennison, our guest today, he's the filmmaker behind the documentary Money Machine about the tragic Las Vegas shooting that happened uh, 1st of October three years ago. Hard to believe that's three years ago. The, the new wrinkle, though, that, that we're hearing about is, you know, Las Vegas is a city that, that was built on money, and uh, there were huge lawsuits in the wake of this. And finally now, three years later, settlements are coming in, but they're nowhere near what were promised the victims of the shooting. What have you learned about that?
1: Well, yeah, I mean, it's it's actually staggering um, some of the new developments with the lawsuit. Um, so when this happened, um, you know, one of the attorneys who was initially the most critical of MGM, because he was representing around 2,500 of the claimants who were part of this lawsuit, was an attorney named Robert Eglin. Okay. And so miraculously, um, about a year later, um you know and, and he actually said that you know MGM's behavior of suing the victims of a mass shooting was the most reprehensible thing he's ever seen in his legal career and it was only about a around a year later that this company that he had harshly criticized he did a complete 180 on and, said, and now said that MGM Resorts International was a model of integrity and he is proud you know that, that that he would be proud to have his family stay at MGM, an MGM property, and that this that, that this is an outstanding exam and, and I and people, I remember the victims just went, "Is this guy MGM's lawyer or ours?" You know, and um, so Robert Eglitt said a lot of things, but what he didn't say was um was the truth, which is that um, you know, he he stood to gain over a hundred million dollars. Just as part of his attorney's fees without even having to go to court. So it was really the attorneys who made out like bandits here. But some of the victims, you know, didn't, were kind of told they were going to get a certain amount. And one victim in particular um, is a woman named Michelle Leonard. She was told she was going to get an amount, and uh, the actual amount turned out to be far less than that. Um, You know, I can't get into specifics right now. Um, You know, some of that information will be public soon but um it was far less than what she and so you have this um you know not just her but with a lot of people um and and there was actually one um of the people who was part of this lawsuit met a gentleman named roger kenneth who's um who was showing the movie former marine and roger was actually a hero that night he was one of the people running back into the gunfire to try to help people using his marine background his combat background to kind of help out in the situation and roger Was initially part of the lawsuit, and then he fired his lawyer and backed out because he thought that things just weren't that the whole thing was dishonest, and that they were basically settling with the victims to hide the fact that you know MGM was a lot more culpable in this than um, they were leading people to believe, and that that's why they were settling is because they didn't want this to go to a court of law where the truth would really come out. And so, actually, an interesting development is that. um, it was, you know, around a week or two ago, Roger Kennis actually filed a lawsuit against MGM, um, which, you know, he's, we're hoping that that forces some discovery, um, you know, in the release of, of documents um, to come out um, that MGM would prefer weren't. So, so out of the, you know, 4,000 plus people who were part of the lawsuit, um, Roger Kennis is the only one we know about, that I know about, that um, refused to go along with it. So, um, you know, I think it's a noble act on his part, I mean, to leave money on the table to try to get at the truth.
0: I wrote down a couple of things as you were talking there I want to ask you about. Uh, You said early on that MGM had sued the the victims of the shooting, which I've got to find out about that. And also that this uh i guess tort attorney this class action attorney represented twenty five hundred victims two thousand five hundred victims just to to put that into perspective of of how many people were were affected by the shooting, and that that he made as the class action attorney a hundred million dollars, but that the actual victims themselves we're coming up way short on what was promised. I oh, want to make yeah. sure I got both of those things correct, so let's tackle right. them one at a yeah. time. Did did the MGM yeah. actually sue victims of this mass shooting?
1: Oh, yeah. Yeah, no, that was a big national story after they did it. They got a lot of backlash. Um, they Yeah, they, they sued them to try to say that they were not legally liable, and basically what it was was a legal ploy um, so that all the um, – you know, it was basically hinged on something called the Safety Act, which was passed after 9-11, which basically stated that, um, you know, if a terrorist event happens, but then, you know, it happens in an event with, um, you know, security that's been home, um, certified by the Department of Homeland Security, then, that, then the company is not liable for that terrorist event. So they were trying to hide behind the Safety Act, and it didn't work. Um, and so when it didn't work, they ultimately had to settle with the victims, but, you know, it just shows, I think it just says a lot that they would even do that. You know, when you hear those words, doing victims of a mass shooting, I mean, it's like, like, what kind of, are you kidding? I mean, how in the hell do you guys look at yourselves in the mirror every day after doing something like that? Like, I mean, it's just, it's just greed, 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 money, 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 and you know, behind their glib smiles and their and their pat, you know, PR flats and stuff, it's just it's all greed and money and um and you know that's one of the things money machine does is peel that stuff away and show the rotten core of MGM.
0: And did I get this correct that that your research shows that this mess class action attorney made a hundred million dollars representing these victims. And yet the actual shooting victims themselves got much, much less than they were promised to help pay their yeah, medical okay. bills. So, yeah.
1: Let me quantify that for a second. So Robert Egglet, there were around somewhere in the neighborhood of give or take a few hundred 4,500 people who are part of that $800 million lawsuit. I say, Okay. So approximately 2,500 of those people, were represented by a Las Vegas attorney named Robert Eglett, okay? So, um, you know, your typical attorney who in, in one of these injury cases is going to get 30% at the low end or 40% at the high end and, and often somewhere between there, okay? So when you start talking about 2,500 claimants getting 30 to 40% of that, that's how you get up to that figure. And that figure is that my over $100 million is actually a conservative estimate, by the way, because, um, you know, there was all kinds of like, you know, referrals and things like that. So like if somebody referred the case to Robert A, he would have to cut them in. And so it's, it's it's complicated, but, um, yeah, at the low end, but if you start doing the math when you got 2,500, you know, and, and the interesting thing is this case didn't even go to a court of law. So, wow. I mean, this guy's sure entered the right field. I mean, Unbelievable. don't even have to go into a courtroom and get to walk away with over a hundred million dollars.
0: And I'm sure that none of the victims of the shooting got anywhere near that. Uh, oh, no. do you have any idea how much the average, uh, uh, shooting victim received to cover well, the medical expenses? They,
1: it, it was kind of a tier system. So meaning that, um, the families of the 58 who were initially killed, um, there was two more who died, you know, so the total is actually 60 people who died, but, um, so the families of the people who died are the ones who get the most money, and then it's almost like a graded tier system down from that. So if other people, other people had serious injuries – like there was a woman who had her eye shot out and stuff like, like – who, who lost her eye. Like people like that are going to get um, like more money than people who just maybe had PTSD or whatever. So there was this whole graded tier system on how the funds were distributed um, and who, who got the most money. But but I think what's 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 most salient to take out of this is the fact that uh, of that 800 million, it's going to be the attorneys walking away with between 30 and 40 percent of that. And they're the ones who really won here and MGM won, too, because they were only on the hook for around 50 million dollars. So the then the, MGM's insurance covered around 750 million of that. So. um I mean, geez, MGM, a company that grosses over ten billion a year, only has to pay out fifty million dollars for something when they had over two hundred cameras, surveillance cameras, out that night, and over, you know, and and all these people killed and hundreds injured, and you walk away. I mean, and for, to, to a company that grosses over ten billion a year, paying out $50 million is like me, are you dropping a quarter on the floor? You know, <laughs> it doesn't mean it's not a lot of money, and so they they you know but, but one of the things you saw is like the attorneys putting on this p- dog and pony show about you know this this offers closure for the victims and and this this you know and and all this crap and what it really is is a great thing for them and the attorneys who get to you know i guess robert aegler gets to buy a couple more yachts now um on the back of the victims but it it's just a it's a con job it's a pr job and and um i think when you have People like MGM and, and sell-out lawyer Robert Egley in bed with each other, they need to have people come along and expose the greed at the heart of that because the Vegas media um, hasn't done that. They, they also kowtowed the big money, um, which is another thing um, that we explore in the film.
0: Every time a mass shooting in America happens, and they happen far too often, there's a huge debate afterwards uh, about uh, the gun lobby. And every time uh, there's there's much consternation in Washington and elsewhere that something's got to be done, and both sides of that debate uh, rise up uh, and, and fight like hell, and then it all goes away until next time. As somebody who right. spent thousands of hours, literally, between filming this movie and editing this movie, I wonder if you have any thoughts one way or another on the gun debate uh, that you took yeah. away
1: um gosh i mean so many people talk so much about that <laughs> i kind of hate to be another person in the universe because i'm talking about that because that's really not what our film's about i i'll just say that in my my experience i know a lot of people who have guns who are very responsible with them and um, i think that's the majority um yes there's occasionally a psycho who gets his hands on a gun and does this but um i'm i'm not one to believe that Guns should be taken away um personally, that's my opinion, and I know a lot of people don't agree with it but but um, I just personally believe you know I know a like you know I grew up, my dad would take us into the woods and we'd you know I grew up like firing a twenty two in the woods just at at a target, you know so um you know i've done so i'm, I'm people might be kind of surprised that i'm I don't have a big anti gun platform because I think it's a, it's it's a really the gun control issue is a very complicated one. And I think both, both sides really oversimplify it a lot. And I don't think that helps matters either, you know? Um, so I'm somewhere in the middle.
0: Is there anything that can be done with, with these mental health issues that, obviously, Stephen Paddock is poster boy for that, uh, to help get in front of this problem? Anything that, that you uncovered in all your research that, that might be helpful moving forward?
1: Um, that's a good question. I don't know. I don't, I'm not sure. I don't think, I mean, it is interesting what an American problem these mass shootings are, you know? And, and the question is why? And I, I don't have that answer and I, I'm not sure anybody does, but um, it's very definitely something that happens in America that causes these that, cause you don't see this happening anywhere near as frequently anywhere else in the world. Um, but I, but I do think one thing you can do to prevent this kind of thing from happening is kind of clamped down on predatory gambling uh, meaning that you know the dirty truth about vegas is that they do play games with gamblers and um you know they do and and i think it's 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 just a really fundamentally dishonest thing that they do when they have these glib superficial hosts who say, hey we're so happy you came to play with us and here's your show tickets and then and that and then you start wedding, and they all of a sudden that stuff starts to go away. And they, so, um, you know, and then they, you know, and one of the valets we talked to while making the film told a really interesting story that he saw happen time and time again at MGM where a high roller was lured there with the promise of perks and free rooms and all this stuff. And then they get there and go to the front desk to check in and the person says, oh, I'm sorry, that tower is fully committed, but I can sell you an upgraded room for a certain amount of money or, you know says so high rollers been kind of duped into gambling there. And then, you know, they get angry. And, um, and I think what happened here is a case of one of those guys getting angry. And, um, you know, when, when, when you make a psycho angry by deceiving them, you know, I mean, obviously a hundred thousand times you can do that to a regular person and, and, and nothing this explosive is going to happen. But that if, you, if you do this kind of stuff enough, if this kind of stuff is allowed by you – know, if this kind of predatory attitude is, is tolerated and allowed, eventually you're going to run into someone like Stephen Paddock who says, no, I'm not going to take this. Or I'm going to do something about it. And that doesn't justify it. But um, I do think it's, it's very important to note that um, there's something very dirty and unacceptable about Vegas and their treatment of people. Um, and it doesn't get talked about enough um, how fundamentally dishonest some of these casino hosts and, and executives are, and that's particularly at MGM Resorts
0: International. The documentary is money machine. It is, uh, it's harrowing. It's frightening. It's compelling. It's hard to watch, but it's hard not to watch. It's an amazing piece of filmmaking. Ramsey Dennison is the man behind the documentary. Thank you so much for spending some time with us. Thank you, Burke. Appreciate it. You bet. The third anniversary of the Las Vegas mass shooting is October 1st, and that's the day that Money Machine is available at iTunes and soon at other platforms as well. Thank you so much for listening. Thanks to our show sponsor, Speaker Match. I'm Burke Allen in Washington, D.C., and this is the Big Time Talker Podcast.